and welcome to Cruisin' 4 A Reviewsin'. This week it's another mini-sode and I am joined once again by Liam who reviewed Valkyrie with me way back in episode 5. Hey, how's it going? Very good, thank you. Uh, thank you for coming back with me and doing another mini-sode. I never managed to release the last mini-sode because I stuffed up the audio because it was audio- <laughs> really early days and <laughs> yeah. yeah, I somehow hit the wrong button and I recorded something very, very different to what I would like to release. So yeah, in that mini-sode, we actually talked about our love of the Mission Impossible film series, yep. which I decided would probably be better to release now anyway because I've actually reviewed all the movies from the Mission mm-hmm. Impossible series. So yeah. So I haven't had a chance to catch up on all the episodes yet, but did everybody that you reviewed them with love them as much as you did? Yes, everyone was super, super into them. Like uh, they all got five stars towards the end. Okay. From everyone, which is, yep. yep. What about number two? Uh, So my sister and I uh, did that one and we actually had a really good time doing it, even though the movie sucks, but it's very fun (laughs) to watch with someone who's on the same page as you and just wants to yell at it the whole time. Yeah. So it Mm -hmm. was very fun. Nice. Yeah, definitely, definitely the, probably the only bad one in the whole batch. Once again, like we talked about in the last one where it's after the first one, the Mission Impossible movies became about giving a director a chance to bring their own style to it. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely a John Woo movie, but his style just does not vibe with what Mission Impossible should be. Even given the widest possible scope of what Mission Impossible could and should be, his style is definitely not it. Definitely not. Definitely just clashing all over the place there. I also feel like his style of film, awesome in when you, all the Hong Kong-based ones that he's done. Mm-hmm. Like, he's done some great movies. I don't like a lot of his American ones. I don't know. I just There's just an element to him that just doesn't like... I mean, I'm mostly thinking okay. of Face Off, which I think is the worst movie ever oh, made. I love I love Face <laughs> Off and Broken Arrow the, the two the one that came before it is like his little testing ground as well for Face Off I actually really liked Broken Arrow okay. but Face Off I think mostly because the casting was just appalling right. like how you, <laughs> two fundamentally very different men uh, yeah. the only thing that sort of matched was that they had white skin like they're white, both white yeah. men I think otherwise just <laughs> There's a mismatch of epic proportions. So yeah. yeah, and just that end scene where they're firing at each other in the church and like yeah. ten million bullets <laughs> and not single one, not one single bullet hits the other. Like Jesus yeah. Christ, I can suspend my disbelief like to an extent, but Jesus Christ. Yeah, the thing about John Woo movies and all kinds of gun movies is, is everyone needs to have like thugs because you need to have thugs that you can actually hit with. So obviously the villains always have thugs, but in that movie the good guy, be it Cage or the other one. Travolta never had any thugs he didn't have anyone else that you could have the bad guys shoot so the bad guys just have to shoot at one guy the whole time and then never ever hit him yeah which (laughs) stretches that a little just makes it a little bit annoying Uh, speaking of thugs something I was thinking about in watching all the Mission Impossible movies and it's for any kind of spy movie especially and a lot of action movies is thugs like Mm -hmm. where do you hire thugs from well because I think you have to offer them a split of whatever you're going to end up winning right like if it has to be if you want if you want the best level of thug, you really have to offer them a, a stake in the end goal. You can't just be paying them money. There's no there's no real commitment to just like a, a salary, like minimum wage. You're yeah, not gonna no. get a very good thug for minimum wage. You're gonna need to whatever your billionaire plan is, you're gonna need to offer them a stake in the end goal. Exactly, because why would you risk your life? Because they all die inevitably. Well yeah. they just topple off. They must in fact it must be more than just a stake. They must be getting I don't know, some, something significant. Or they've got something yeah. held against them, or I don't know. Because I was thinking about that especially in Fallout, like there were so many of the, the I've forgotten his name, um, the White Widow's brother. 
they had mm. so many men and they were yeah. just toppling out everywhere and getting yeah. shot and yeah, just so many. I'm like, is there like a Seek sort of mm. website that's just for? The and they have to know that they have to know they're bad guys too. Like the there's a thing going around about like the best bad guys are the ones who think they're actually the good guys and they've got a good reason behind what they're doing, which very mm. rarely happens in the Mission Impossible movies. That these guys are more to the scenery bad guys than actual having an ethos bad guys. So yeah. all their thugs have to know they're on the wrong side here. So there has to be something pretty significant in them in it for them. Yeah. Or they're just like, there's not much work going around and they're like, well, I'm good at thugging, so I guess I'll yeah. just... <laughs> yeah. The tradie, tradie lifestyle is not really working out for them. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favourite Mission Impossible movie? So I knew you would ask, so I thought I'd go through and I'd try and rank them mm-hmm. all. So I had a bit of an idea. I can't go past one. I love I love one. I know it's sort of the, the series as a whole has probably hit its stride in the last couple, but mm. just as a way to introduce the series and just um, like Brian De Palma just at the top of his game, definitely like a bit of a director for hire to come in because it's not really his style of movie either. Normally like a big budget, triple A blockbuster sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So to come in and just, it's probably the movie that's the most spycraft out of all of them. So that was even a thing that they talked about. I was looking up some stuff and they when they asked a bunch of the people who were in the original TV series to come back, they were looking at the script and the script apparently was more accurate action explosion sort of stuff rather than spies and that's mm. why they didn't like it because it was supposed to be like spycraft and getting away with stuff and you know not necessarily having all the big gunfights and explosions so yeah i think the first one definitely i love the most i think when i re-watched that for the podcast i always remembered it being very like yes yeah, very spy espionage kind of thing mm-hmm. and then then it didn't have that much action but then when i watched it like at the end when they're in the train in the tunnel and everything yeah. i'm like oh no wait there's a lot of action in this so yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> But it is definitely the most espionage Yeah, because the first... So it's essentially three big set pieces and then a bit of connecting tissue between each one. And mm. the first two are total spy things. Like, they, you know, they're supposed to get away. There's no big gun scenes or anything. And then, yeah, you get to the last one and there's a big helicopter explosion. But even that is... There's no gunfight in it either. Like, it's got the big helicopter explosion. But I don't think they're ever shooting guns at each other from memory. Like, it's really just him trying to con- get across the top of the train. No, I don't think uh, uh, Ethan Hunt fires a gun at all in the first movie. Yeah. I think that's the thing. And then from then on I mean even then I don't think he like he tries to avoid it it's not very yeah. spy like to be shooting guns no. at everyone if he can and then in the it, second so. one he in the second one he shoots guns at everybody all the time and maybe that was, <laughs> just part, of the, that was part of the problem yeah just got guns picking up guns from wherever they happen to sit and just firing with whoever he can see. Just firing a thousand bullets at gas tanks and Ford Falcons until they all explode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) The other thing about the second one that I thought was interesting was that it had a bit of slow-mo, like some of the fights and some of the running and stuff was slow-mo, which is obviously Mm -hmm. very John Woo. And that got me thinking that I don't think any of the other films have any slow-mo at all. Like they're all very, this is happening real time. This, what you're happening is what you're seeing. Like explosions fling people around, which you could, especially in some of the, in um, three, where they're having that fight on top of the bridge Mm. and there's sort of explosions happening and the explosions are throwing people everywhere. You could definitely have forgiven someone for doing a bit of slow-mo. Maybe there is a bit of slow-mo where he leaps over the chasm in three. Maybe, yeah. But yeah, whatever it is, there's definitely nothing definitely nothing like it to the level that it was in two. I think the, clo- the closest they've come was in Fallout where there was kind of a few, a couple of dream sequences or kind of mm. flash-forward kind of scenes where Ethan was imagining having to shoot cops to catch Solomon Lane. Yeah. But that wasn't slow-mo so much as like they made it kind of more ethereal yeah. sort of feeling, yeah. But I think definitely like if you last the last three movies, you're thinking them now as Tom Cruise, I do my own stunt, you know, showcases is he's not going to want to put that in slow-mo. He's going to want to go, no, I, I did it in real time. So let's show it happening in real time to show what I can do. Mm. And there's too much going on in the movies. Like slow, slow-mo just slows it down. <laughs> 
We haven't yeah. got time to wait around for no. things to slowly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what's next? What's your next movie? Um, so after that, what have I got here? After that, I think Rogue Nation is probably slightly ahead of Fallout. So those two are quite close together as my oh. number two and three spot. But I think Rogue Nation is just slightly ahead of it. Okay. Um, I, 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 I feel, the, the, reason I feel why? the opposite. Yeah, I know I know. Fallout was the one that got you on this whole journey in the first place. Yeah, I had a reason why, but I can't. it doesn't spring to mind off the top of my head. I didn't like, I didn't love that they brought his wife character back into it because um, mm. I thought that was probably the weakest part of three and the bit that really didn't fit any of the other parts at all was was a very J.J. Abrams sort of invention and then they had to push her off to the side because nobody else really wanted to work with what the repercussions of that would mean. Yeah. But yeah, like very narrow gap. Like they're both amazing, but I think it's just slightly, Fallout slightly ahead of, sorry, Rogue Nation slightly ahead of Fallout. Uh, yep, and how does uh, three and four rank? So from then it's four. So I love the Brad Bird direction stuff. He's just, he's a perfect director for Tom Cruise and I wish he'd stuck around and done some more because he directs cartoons mm. and he directed this film like a cartoon and Tom Cruise wants to do essentially be a cartoon character of like I can do anything I can be anything I can throw myself off anything I can bounce off anything it's going to be fine um, so it's like the Burj Khalifa scene and then also that fight in the automated car park where just cars just come out of nowhere and the, like the rules of physics don't really seem to apply at all because there's this thing going all over the place in all directions at all at all times so I think Brad Bird did a really good job there and then it's down to three so it's probably the next one down um, so I'm second least favorite but still really good has the best villain so philip seymour hoffman obviously the best villain yeah in the whole piece all the way along but just once again jj abrams so it was his first live action film it's his i think it was his directorial debut yes and he just has no unique directing style at all really for me he just he's got his lens flare so if you know what if you're looking for a jj abrams film it's got <laughs> yeah. the lens flare but other than that he doesn't have any distinctive style distinctive shots that he likes to to do it's really just so you think of like the, the star trek movies that he's done and now the star wars ones as well as nothing that really makes them stand out from the other ones in the series yeah it's just i mean except that they he does a lot of backpedaling and ruins yeah yeah that's lines. right ruins <laughs> franchises thanks for that thanks jj i'm trying to think of what my order would be i i struggle with this and it changes but obviously fallout mm-hmm. uh i then i would say probably then ghost protocol mostly because the stunts in that and obviously Brad yeah. an excellent director but the stunts in that are just like that building i i could watch that building mm. scene 10 million times and never get bored uh, then I think number three and Rogue Nation I kind yep. of I love them both for their you know, the stunts are really good and but there's just different things I think where I don't know I it's I've just I've tried to articulate this so many times. I think I like three so much is because I watched it straight after watching number two. So immediately yeah. it was so yeah. much better. <laughs> oh, this and could I think, be good again. <laughs> and I think also a huge part of it plays, I find Tom Cruise super attractive in mm. that movie. And I think that plays a huge part. He's got the nice, he's got the nice shortcut on that in that movie. Yeah, he's, he? just, like really he's just looking there. so Tom Cruise-y. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So I think that does play. I also like the uh, the gimmicks of them getting into the Vatican. I think that mm-hmm. was just really, really fun. Yeah, and I don't know. I Rogue Nation, like every time I watch it, I really enjoy it, but I never think of it that much yeah. compared to other ones. I don't know what it is. I think, yeah, Fallout maybe just blew it out the water for me. I don't know. I, th- I think it's interesting because I think Fallout and Rogue Nation are quite similar in their style as well. So I think if you'd watched, like if you watched Rogue Nation before Fallout, out, fall out even even obviously storyline wise as well seems like a continuation from Rogue Nation but if you and then style wise it's quite similar because it's got the same director and this is now him this is now him basically going yep I've now got my guy who's going to direct all my movies for me mm-hmm. but I guess yeah if you'd seen it the other way then Fallout seems like the the new one and then Rogue Nation seems like the repeat of that style in a similar vein I think that is probably it yeah because mm-hmm. I definitely saw Fallout before I'd seen Rogue Nation um, and then yeah. I always feel bad that 
number one so far down, but it's I guess because yeah. it's it's an older movie, I kind of forget. It. Like it's yeah, it's it's really hard. It's like picking who's your favorite child, I guess. Yeah. Uh, like obviously the number two doesn't really count. It's like yeah. So that's always I think number two is going to be at the bottom of everyone's list. And if anyone said one of the other ones was worse, I'd you know some serious side eye would be going on there. I'm really like, do you really know what movies are and what makes them good? But that's okay. <laughs> I've had people say, oh no, I love that movie, and then they've rewatched it and gone. Oh, no, I, I get why yeah. you, <laughs> you say all this. <laughs> um, interestingly, I just had a thought, um, jumping from number two to number three. So there were, so number two came out in 2000 and then three came out six years later. So it was a, there was that six-year gap. J.J. Abrams brought back the Star Trek series, brought back Star Wars and did this. And I think the common theme in all three of those is, I guess he doesn't try lots of really crazy things because it's almost like it's going to, this is his, it's going to be okay sort of style. So when he brought back Star Wars, we just the three before that were the three prequels, and everyone was like, "Oh God, it's you know George Lucas run and Mark. He can't direct. He doesn't know what he's doing. These were all terrible." And so his first Star Wars movie was very repetitive of what had made the Star Wars movies good in the first place, almost as a style of like, "Hey everyone, it's cool. People who know what they're doing are back in charge of Star Wars. This is going to be great." Actually, that's a really good point because I mean, I liked uh, is it Force Awakens that one? Yeah, yeah. Like I I liked it because it did feel familiar and everything, mm. and then you know on reflection you're kind of like oh they didn't really do a lot yeah where then obviously what's the one after that that rian um, johnson do- directed oh something is it rise last of the jedi? jedi last, last jedi. jedi that's it yeah bloody amazing and then yeah. he just then he's like oh now we're gonna take it back again and like no so yeah that's why it's such a letdown it's like no we're gonna take it back you know i'm sorry that mm. you didn't like our casting the casting and all the fun stuff in that last movie we'll just take it back to the beige yeah. version that you're comfortable yeah. with yeah so i think definitely. yeah with star trek can be this similar because they had the last generation movies and then the last one of, sorry next generation movies and the last one of those didn't get received very well so then the first star trek movie back was kind of like it's okay everyone people who know what they're doing and people who are going to be good at this are back in charge of this stuff so I guess there's a similar vein with the Mission Impossible stuff as well even though it was only his first one I think reassuring people that it wasn't they weren't going down that John Woo path to keep it that sort of style was probably useful in terms of they probably had a lot of people drop off after two and yeah. like I don't need to see that so they probably needed people to be like oh no 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 this is a, just a good action movie yeah. kind of thing a couple of things so you flagged Ghost Protocol as one of your favourites but I had a couple of issues with that one okay which was why was Hendrix such a good fighter because yes we've, he, well, actually he was, we've talked about a, this haven't we we have yeah this was one of the things we talked about the first time is like he's just this old professor dude why it kind of made Tom Cruise Ethan Hunt look like why can you not beat this guy really easily particularly when he had a thug but that thug's obviously involved in a fight somewhere else so you th- I thought that would be the big fight but no it turns out this Hendrix guy is actually like a really master fighter dude as well that's which kind of I, that's the one thing that disappoints me like and the last scene is really good with the cars and everything but you spend the whole time being like hang on who is this guy like, yeah why like he's a great actor and I was really sad to learn that he died like a few mm. years ago mm. but just yeah it just didn't make sense that ethan hunt is like the best you know best fighter or whatever spy in the world yeah. and hendrix who wasn't a spy like he was he, yeah, was he didn't even have a biology background professor in, guy yeah he was just like yeah. a future biology dude whereas they kind of address that in number three with uh, philip seymour hoffman like he wasn't a fighter but he just did gross sneaky things to take advantage mm. and then when he yeah. had ethan in a weakened state then he could sort of try and bash him up yeah and then so at the end of the um, the Burj Khalifa scene, um, so it's revealed that the the dude who they thought was the thug was actually Hendrix all along. Yes, and I have no idea why. Hendrix went to that meeting disguised or why he revealed himself at the end of it. So I worked that out. Okay, while, good. While we were reviewing that movie, that's something I didn't understand either. And then I, I figured it out. They were after Hendrix 
the whole time. So if Hendrix had gone as himself, he would have been busted yeah. and they would have just caught him and then they've got their man. So he had to send his his second-hand man. You know, they're like, we, we need him to get to Hendrix. And the only reason I can think of that Hendrix went is because he's an egomaniac who just had to one-up. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I, it's not, I mean, it's not a good, <laughs> a good theory, but I think that's <laughs> what it is. I think the reason why he went in a mask is because he, he must have known that there's a chance that the IMF were going to try and intercept them do or something. something. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he was just the kind of guy who couldn't resist being there to do it himself. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely the way the movie played the reveal. It was supposed to be like, oh my God, that's a big shocking moment. Or even like he has mass technology as well. So somehow he's tied into the IMF or something like that as well. But then it, they really never address it. Yes. I, I think they took a little while to really get their stride with the mask reveals because mm. like in number two, it's just like constantly 10,000 masks. Yeah. <laughs> flying off everywhere like a backpack full of masks yeah. just at all times and yeah there's a few where you're like did that need to be a mask yeah by the rogue nation i think they kind of figured out just a, mm. a subtle little oh crap it was a mask all along kind of thing yeah i think they probably nailed it the most in the first movie like at the end where john voight is ethan hunt the whole time you're like that was the perfect use of the mask mm. yeah it was um, cool and then again in fallout when benji is solomon lane very good mm. yeah that was cool as well yeah like they use it i guess they don't make it a huge crux point in the plot the way they they did in the first couple like it sort of tends to be like a little segment off to the side where something happens and it's related to a mask and then like the big reveal doesn't necessarily shift the whole movie all the way although i mean even the solomon lane one kind of does because that's where that everybody figures out that it was that henry cavill's character was the bad guy so yeah yeah. yes so in my last minisode i did after fallout we talked about what we think the future of the mission impossible franchise is we won't go over too much but do you have any thoughts of what the next two movies might be i hate to say it but at some point he has to start so I thought after Ghost Protocol that they were building for Jeremy Renner to come in and take over the franchise. And I think it. No, which in like at the time, because at the time I think he was a really. At the time I remember thinking he was a really cool guy and probably a good person to take it over. He could be like not, you know, he doesn't do all his own stunt sort of stuff, but yeah, still keeping in that action thing. He he was also right in the middle of all the MCU stuff as well. So he was the guy. And he that's right, because he was in the Bourne franchise as well. So he was basically the guy who was being groomed to take over all the franchises everywhere. I don't think he's that much younger than Tom Cruise though. So it was interesting that he, it felt like he was being groomed to take it over, but probably still had the same shelf life as Tom, if not a little less. But I think at some point Tom has to start finding who's going to take this franchise over or work with him like on the next two movies or three movies, like a young sort of 25 to 30 year old. And it could be a woman, be great if it was a woman, Mm -hmm. but I think he needs, I think they need to find who's going to run that franchise with Tom continuing to do the producing and being really involved with it along the way. Yeah. I don't think Tom Cruise as great as he is. I don't think he can continue being Ethan Hunt into his like late sixties. Yeah. At some point. That's a big call. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that's really, that's really the only thought that I've had like yeah just keeping it still keeping it on the spot like the idea of um the agency behind them seems to change a lot like they just change it to whatever it needs to be so in three it's like this really huge thing with lots of agents out there and then after a certain point it's no no it's just him and then after that it's back to being a huge agency with lots of people and stuff like that so I don't know whether they need or if they even want any stability with that it was interesting because I think with the TV series they didn't really talk about the agency that much like it was really just he would get his instructions 
instructions from some mysterious figure and then like they didn't interact with the actual agency itself that much so I don't know where they want I to go back to that. I think in memory all the people who were the IMF were actually private citizens who did mm. stuff for like the CIA so they were like I think wasn't the main guy he was like some wealthy businessman or yeah. something and mm-hmm. so they dabbled in being spies like for hire kind of thing so they yeah. didn't actually have an agency it was just like a group of people being like yeah we'll go do that for you. Yeah so yeah I don't know what they need to or they just keep using it as as they want to. Do you think this is there's going to be more movies like they, with or without Tom Cruise? I think so. I think I think yeah, Tom Cruise. I mean, he because he produces them all as well, and uh, he and Christopher McQuarrie write them all as well. So I definitely think there's a space there for him to just keep doing that, even if he's not. And, and still having a role in it as well, even if it's not the central role, whether he whether that's something he's interested in or if he just steps away from the acting side of it altogether and just does the production. But he's produced all all six movies so far and he's producing seven and eight. So it's obviously something that he loves and they keep making money. So the studios are going to keep liking them so long as they're, you know, making money. So I think they'll keep going. I wonder if they do try and make a new Ethan Hunt kind of thing, if that's where people will be like, okay, I'm done with that series now. Like, I think it's going to be, it's going to have to be someone who looks the part. So I saw... Um, I watched the new Charlie's Angels movie the other day and that's got a lot it's got the three women in it and they do a lot of fighting but you can tell that two of them weren't trained for fighting like they've done the train, the bare minimum of training to get into the movie role but they're not lifelong people who've done that sort of stuff and you can always tell with action movies of when they've got people in them who haven't been action stars or been martial arts people or fighting people their whole lives it's like they've just done the bare minimum of training to get into that point so I think if that's what they need to find someone who's going to pick up the mantle it needs to be someone who's going to look good enough and look like they know what they're doing all the way through uh was what did you say one of them looked like they yeah i can't remember her name she was there was the british lady from the mi6 and they even even in the reviews i said they said like when she was fighting the camera could cut back and just have long cuts with her just doing the fighting whereas when it was the other two it was quite close up and there would be short so you can you just get the shot of the punch going in or the them spinning the 180 or whatever okay there's definitely different ways that they shoot things when you've got someone who looks like they know what they're doing versus someone who's or someone who does know what they're doing versus someone who's just done that minimum of training to get into a certain point. I just had a thought of someone who, if they were to continue on with doing Mission Impossible movies and they needed a new Ethan Hunt, someone who's not only a woman but is a non-white person. Have you? I've just did a big Facebook post about it. Was it Mortal Engines? I just watched the uh, Mortal Engines movie. Okay, I haven't seen that, but it's on my list. So yeah, there was a character in the movie called Jihae. She's actually a South Korean singer played... Oh no, her name is Jihae. She played a character called Anna Fang. And yeah, she's a Korean woman. And mm-hmm. her presence on screen was the best I've ever seen an actor in my entire life. Nice. Like she was just the most charismatic. She had the coolest outfits and coolest hair and everything. She, I think she actually knows some martial arts. Yeah. So yeah, just amazing. So now that I'm thinking about that, if anyone's going to replace Ethan Hunt, I would mm. petition and do whatever I could in my power to make sure that was her because awesome. that's what we need. We need someone really charismatic and cool and interesting, which is why I guess they've always sort of stuck with the same sort of style of people for James Bond. Yeah. Because they don't want to deviate too much. Which they really should. Will freak but out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Small man children will freak out. Yeah. I mean, Daniel Craig's great, but he can't he can't do that forever. I think the the one he's done now is his last one, isn't it? I mean, he said. I think he said that after. The, I think he said that after Spectre. I think he said that after the last two. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's time for another one there as well. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they could just go, just get someone who's just got a very different energy to it. Yeah, I would like to think that Mission Impossible will continue because it is a universe that doesn't need. Like, you can just follow completely different characters. You do. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. 
because if you go by the thing where there's, you know, it's a fairly big agency and there's lots of different teams. I mean, obviously there's lots of different things to spy on at all times in the world. So yeah, yeah it could be like a really cool shared universe. And that's where Ethan Hunt could just kind of pop up as like little cameos as they sort of intersect during their missions yeah. and stuff. You could even start being the voice of the person that gives out the missions as well. Mm. So so he could be like the headquarter dude who's just handing that stuff out. That's true. Speaking of handing out missions, the other thing that number two is terrible at is like I love Anthony Hopkins, but there's just no reason for him to be in that movie at all. And that the first time where he meets up is like, your mission should you choose to accept it is to come and meet me and then I'll give you your real mission. It's like <laughs> what, what the hell is that? That's just nonsense. <laughs> and also when he met up with him, he was just being a big sexist pig about, how yeah. <laughs> Andy Newton's character had to be used and how like yeah. if shoot this is what women are good for being deceitful bitches and like excuse yeah. me <laughs> It was so, rough. Yeah, I, I think you could have used it as like used his voice when he gives him the first mission. And then if you want to use him and put him in the movie, you could have him at the end the way they did anyway. But mm. yeah, just to have it be, you have to come and find me. It's like, what? I don't. Yeah. It almost felt like a, just a different. I mean, it's the same thing. It probably could have been like just a different movie that they just shoehorned the Mission Impossible stuff into. They just found a script that they liked, a spy movie or an action movie, and then just shoehorned the Mission Impossible stuff into it. And then where it didn't yeah. work, they were just like, ah, oh, we don't care that much. Yeah, I kind of, now I'm thinking about it. Maybe they'll go a bit like uh, the Fast and the Furious franchise where they're now like branching off and, mm-hmm. you know, different characters are going different ways. And yeah, how exciting. Um, Before we wrap up, I would like to know from you, what is your all-time favourite stunt from all the Mission Impossible movies? Um, So I've actually done a top three as well because I remember you asked oh, me that last time as well. Excellent. <laughs> um, so in spot number three is the um, airplane stunt from mm-hmm. the start of Rogue Nation, yes. which I just, like, that's on YouTube. And I like, I feel sure I watch that every couple of weeks is just the, like it's it's not a big fight scene which is a, the other thing that I love like it is a very spy sort of thing like they're almost trying to get away without the people knowing that they've stolen it back although that doesn't really work out in the end but there's no big punching there's no guns or anything like that it's just people trying to break into a thing and then obviously him holding onto the side of the plane is just amazing and I love it and just I reiterate to people constantly like Tom Cruise hung onto the side of a plane with a couple yeah. of cords keeping him attached like yeah like, everyone would have been shitting themselves rightfully so <laughs> and I just cannot believe people were just like I guess they can't say no to Tom Cruise they're just like okay just let him let yeah. him do it the insurance but, yeah. payout the insurance thing is all there but and like that whole thing where he's on the plane as well like it's a really long shot as well so that's backs up what we were saying before is like if if someone's actually doing something you can put a long shot of them doing it it's only if they're not really doing it that you need to keep cutting it really yeah. quickly and then so number two is just the Burj Khalifa scene the whole scene with the building um, I've got a problem with heights so it just freaks me out every time and when things start failing and he, yeah where he jumps so where he lets go of the rope at the very end and jumps to the window and the, th- the, oh the other two gosh. have to leap out the window to try to catch him as well <laughs> and it just it almost happens really quickly as well so you, you don't have a lot of time to p- mentally prepare yourself you're like oh okay so he's gonna fling himself off the rope and try and go through the window oh no he's done it already yeah. so a lot of movies as well they build up to something like that they'd have like lots of really sort of the swelling music and they'd be pausing he'd be looking down and looking back and all that sort of stuff and this time he just like he looks down and goes oh this is what I have to do to get over there and time's a thing so I'm gonna just fling myself over there and yeah good luck to me <laughs> And I'd even just being near that window in that scene, like filming that, I would have thrown up yeah. about a hundred times, yeah. I think. <laughs> I, yeah, I would not. So, yeah, I would not be able to be in the building above a certain floor. Like we'd have to just, I'd have to just stay in the hallway instead. <laughs> And then for my number one, can't go past the CIA robbery in Mission Impossible 1. The the one that set it all off, the whole thing, like 
you know, generated a thousand memes of people falling and people struggling and, you know, holding on to points and that sort of stuff. So just the, the cool action scene and just that precise timing that Brian De Palma brings to it of like, you know, they disappear just as the guy comes back in and the sound stuff kicks off just as the guy's coming through it. So yeah, just the extra little pieces all the way through it are really cool. They're, they're really good, three good, really good picks. I, I, I don't know what am I, uh, I would say on top of those because they are mm-hmm. three of the, the best ones ever. I also have a very big soft spot for I really like the underwater scene in Rogue Nation where just knowing I mean he's not holding his breath the entire time Mm. because there's lots of shots but knowing that he could have done that because he can hold his breath for six minutes just Mm. blows my mind all the time and in Fallout if I had to pick I, I can't it would either be the car chase. Oh, I don't know if it's a motorbike chase through Paris or the car chase through Paris mm. because both are just, I just love a good car chase through a European city. Yeah. <laughs> and just, yeah, some of the stunts he does in that little green BMW, they say in mm. the making of, even seasoned uh, stunt people would struggle with and Tom Cruise just yeah. fucking blasts through it. Uh, but I would say probably the helicopter scene. Yep. Mm-hmm. is probably or the halo jump oh my god i could just talk about fallout for another half an hour so <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's too many stunts in that movie where you're just like they're all so dangerous and they're all so cool yeah. and it's obnoxious that that movie was some so <laughs> new and refreshing and fun even though it's number six yeah because underwater stuff freaks me out a little bit and i like it yeah the idea of drowning is one of my sort of things that i don't like so i don't like the idea of being on a submarine or even being on a boat sort of tends to can freak me out a little bit so yeah the underwater stuff in that one in rogue nation was gave me the heebie-jeebies and then same with the halo stuff from the fallout as well and i think the beauty of that one was um there'd been stuff that was in the trailers so i I hate it when movies give away all their cool pieces in the trailers oh yeah i've stopped watching trailers now actually for a lot of movies yeah some of them yeah some of them i'll watch the first one and if i go yep i'm watching that movie then i'll just go all right that's it i'm not gonna see any more trailers but yeah the halo one there was nothing in any of the trailers about any of that stuff and i think they could have made a really cool trailer because they use so much of it a lot of the cool thing about that scene is how silent it is mm-hmm. like you don't you know it's not them screaming or like you can really hear those noises and everything is so carefully controlled I think they could have made a really cool trailer out of that building up that suspense as they come through but they just cut it out they didn't use any of it in the trailer which meant it was a real surprise actually a lot of the stuff in the Fallout trailer didn't even get used like there's about three stunts in it they just yeah, they're just like nah cut them out <laughs> so I think one of the ones that I really missed was where they were like after they land the Halo stuff and there's a there's a shot in the night club in the trailer of him like flying from like on a piece yes, of rope like almost trapezing yeah yep. and then and like doing something in there while he's doing it and then yeah that never happens which is really disappointing because i was like that would have been really cool and but- so if you look at the uh, making of they do Oh, the you know the behind the scenes they yeah. show that uh, Christopher McQuarrie doesn't like sharing the um you know deleted scenes and stuff because he's like I'm, okay. the movie I'm releasing is the movie I want everyone to see. I yeah, don't, he doesn't believe yeah. in director's cuts necessarily, mm-hmm. but he's like that one as it was such a cool stunt. I'm gonna let you see it because it just didn't need to be there, but it still was yeah. a sick stunt. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, he's a really cool guy to follow on Twitter as well. If you don't follow him on Twitter, he he does Q and A's quite regularly, and that's that's his tone and his approach on Twitter as well as like people say oh what's a what's a thing you wish you could have included in a movie and he just goes no the movie was what it was i made the movie i wrote it what you saw is what is what the movie was the other bits if if i cut a bit out it's because it didn't belong so i'm not going to tell you about the bits that didn't belong mm, it's fair enough i mean i, I would yeah. watch 600 more hours of lost footage of Fallout, yeah. but if he doesn't want to give it to me fine <laughs> yeah we, we need like a 20 minute version of that fight scene in the bathroom where they just oh, keep goodness, beating yeah. the shit out of each other for like 20 minutes just on and on just destroy um, the bathroom altogether. Oh, so then there's another, that's another amazing, I mean, it's 
not really stunty, but yeah, that's no, but it, yeah. an incredible it scene. counts, yeah. And just that guy playing John Lark, my God, what a fighter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should yeah try and get him in more stuff. I'd have to look up who he is and see if he can be in more stuff. He's a famous stunt actor and okay, cool. he's, he did stunts in The Last Jedi, I think. He's done lots oh, of yeah. really good stunts in some really good movies, but this is the first time he's properly been yeah. like an, an actual actor. He was meant to just be the, body, uh, the stunt actor for whoever John Lark was going to be. And they're like, yeah. oh, let's just make him John Lark. <laughs> whatever <Yeah>. who cares <laughs> and I think that's see that's and that's the thing as well like you bring in someone like that to play a short role versus trying to they could have had that be someone well known they could have had someone come in for almost like a cameo 10 minute role and then train them up in how to be a fighter but then it wouldn't have been nearly as good because you don't have those skills innately whereas mm. you just find someone who's like stunt people and actual fighters to just come in and you don't need them to carry a movie so they don't need to be some amazing actor they just need to get through their bits yeah exactly excellent well cool. uh, I think we've uh, done a deep enough dive uh yeah. i dragged out my mission impossible <laughs> segment as long as i possibly can no that was cool yeah i i could talk about it forever so thank you very much for coming back and doing this with me no uh, worries thanks for having me in the meantime where can people find you online so uh, i host a podcast called flawless a music podcast uh so each episode we talk about an album that one of the hosts or a guest thinks is flawless and we find out all about it and why they love it so um yeah flawless a music podcast you can find us on facebook twitter instagram uh, if you just google that you will find us we're on all the major podcasting services as well yep and i was on it twice yes you're on nominated two albums which was great damn straight uh excellent <laughs> uh as per usual you can find me on tom cruise reviews on instagram tom cruise review no s on twitter or my website tom thank you very much for joining us and we'll catch you next time 